You're listening to the Great Recruiter Training Podcast. Hosted by industry expert, trainer, and motivator, Scott Love. Hi, this is Scott Love, and thanks for joining me on another episode of the Great Recruiter Training Podcast. We're going to talk about two things on today's show. First, we're going to talk about Moneyball and recruiting. And then secondly, we're going to hear from Dr. David Durand, giving you some secrets that I think will help you if you struggle with call reluctance. And if you're honest with yourself, I think everybody at some point in time struggles with that. There are some days when I first started in the business, when I even started getting back on my desk a few years ago, where that phone felt like 40 pounds. And I really wish I'd listened to what David had to say. But I think you're going to find some unique insights. The way he describes it is a way I've never heard it described before. And he gives some practical applications and action steps that you can do today and just even shifting the way you think that will help you. But first, let's talk about Moneyball and recruiting. Now, I'm not a big sports fan except for golf. I love golf. And I like to downhill ski, but that's about it. So I don't like to watch sports. I'd rather be playing them. I'd rather be a participant. But I did watch the movie Moneyball with Brad Pitt, and I saw it recently, like in a couple of, a couple of months ago. And it was a very good film. There were some key elements from that that I found apply directly to what we do as executive recruiters, and I wanted to share that with you. Now, if you haven't seen it yet, I'm not going to spoil it for you. But, so, so don't feel like you've got to stop this recording and listen to it later. But, but the whole premise was that traditional baseball paid big salaries to the big names that had the brands within baseball. However, the statistician who was the secret star of the movie, said that baseball is successful based on runs. And how do you get runs? You get on base. And it doesn't matter how you get on base. So they were able to take a mediocre salary and get players that statistically had good advantages in getting on base, and they were able to do quite well. Watch the movie. It explains the whole concept in detail. But if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. How does this relate to recruiting? How do you find somebody who's successful in the business? Well, you look at what they bill. I think that if you want to find, the, I'd say, the surest and the most accurate way of determining who's going to be successful, look at the activity. Let me me kind of tell you what I'm talking about here. So how do you become successful in baseball? Well, it's, it's winning the games. How do you win the games? It's getting runs. How do you get runs? You get people on base. How do you become successful in recruiting? Well, you're, you're a big biller. You make placements. Well, how do you make placements? Well, you get candidates and clients in front of each other. Well, how do you get candidates and clients in front of each other? Well, you submit resumes. So for the past four weeks, because I had some changes in my desk and I lost my momentum this summer, but I'm regaining it back just from some business decisions that I made that were incorrect decisions. You know, sometimes you take a shot, you miss. Anyways, I'm back on track and I had to hustle so I can hit my goal because my calendar year ends March 31st. I just have it that way. Because, and one, one reason is because I can still hustle over the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays. And I'm not coasting, baby, because I still have four and a half months left to my calendar year. And I'd recommend that if your calendar year ends December 31st, push it back a month or two or three months or have it end November 30th. So that way, December 1st, is either the beginning of the year or you still have many months left to be able to crank out some more placements and you're not going to coast towards the end of the year. That's just my own recommendation. But getting back to the concept of Moneyball. So I've had to give a big push to my activity and I started thinking about what are the goals that I need to focus on on my desk? What makes placements, interviews, and submittals? If you only focus on two metrics, interviews and submittals, and you create an intense focus on reaching just those two things, the deals will take care of themselves. I get more excited talking a candidate into meeting with a client than I do the client saying, we're going to hire your guy. I mean, really, I just personally get more of a rush when someone says, you know, okay, I'll meet with your client because I can make a placement from that. And I don't have to think about it anymore because I'm going to focus on getting getting more people in front of clients and getting more interviews. So from this point on, I want you to think in terms of submittals. That means presenting candidate resumes to clients and also first face-to-face interviews. Some people call those interviews send-outs. 
That's kind of an ambiguous term. I don't recommend that you use that anymore because it means too many things to too many people. How the the phrase send outs originated was back when our industry was being birthed in New York City, in Manhattan, you would have recruiting firms or placement agencies where they would have candidates come and sit at their desk. One would be the engineering desk, one would be the finance desk, the other accounting desk. So the, the candidate would be sitting at their desk and they'd get their Rolodex and they'd call their clients you know what that is? That's a rotary dial. Can you imagine having to dial a client with a rotary dial? You know, seven more times later, oh, I misdialed. I've got to do that all over again. Okay, so they would dial their clients and they would say, I've got this exceptional candidate. I'd like for you to meet him. Sounds great. Send him over. And they'd send the candidate out. He'd, go, he'd be sent out to go meet with the client right then and there. So I, I, that's what the phrase came from. But and for, for our purposes, I'd recommend just calling it face-to-face interviews or interviews with clients. So if all we have to focus on are candidate submittals and first face-to-face interview clients, well, how many deals do you want to close over the course of a year? Well, if you want to do 24, 24 deals, that's how many placements a month? That's two a month. Well, we've got to look at the interview to placement ratio across the board within our industry, within the executive search industry. It's about five to one interview to placement ratio. So if you want to close two deals a month, what do you have to focus on? Well, getting two candidates to meet every week. That's like, you know, two, that's eight and a half. Really make it 10 first face-to-face meetings per month. That's going to give you two placements. So I'd say an average of like 2.5. First face-to-face interviews per week. Let's say you get really good at the candidate interviews and client interview preps and debriefs and uh, on both sides, and then you kind of tighten it up to about a four-to-one interview-to-placement ratio. Well, if you get two people a week, that's eight a month. So I have this rhythm now within my desk, you know, because I'm dealing with higher-level candidates. My goal is to present five candidates each week and to set up two meetings per week. The only thing I care about are those two things. I mean, there's other things like client development, getting good at my sales skills, you know, what I'm, what I'm going to wear tomorrow. I mean, there's other things that occupy space in my head. But the only thing I'd focus on, if I were you, from this point on is getting two people in front of each other twice per week. So by Friday... All you care about is that you have two candidates that are meeting with two clients, that you've set up two first face-to-face interviews between clients and candidates. And that means that every day you're going to submit a resume or however many resumes it takes in front of your clients to set up those two interviews. So for me, it's about five because most people that we present, if we present someone, we know there is a very high likelihood that there's going to be a meeting. And many times, the difference between setting up that interview and not is talking the candidate into going to meet with them. This is something I want you to focus on, getting very good at your influence and persuasion skills. Now, if you remember the coaching club, I want you to log in and watch the videos. There's about four videos. Right? Actually, I think there's six videos. They're only, only like 10 minutes each. I don't have long videos on my training site because after 10 minutes, you're going to check out mentally. I want you to watch the video called Live Sales Training, and it's one through six, and that walks you through all the principles of ethical influence that I teach based on Dr. Robert Cialdini's work. I want you to watch that. I want you to get very good at your persuasion and your influence skills. So if my goal is to get five candidates presented to clients each week, and if I'm at number four and I have, it's Friday and I've got to get this guy to agree to present his interview to my client, I can tell him this, and this is one that actually happened. This is a real high-profile candidate. You know, he's very happy with where he's at, but I know that there are some burns, some frustrations that he has. And I said, Joe, why don't we do this? Just allow me to present your bio on your firm's website to my client, and maybe you can meet with my client and just have a one-hour introductory meeting. And then you'll know after that 60-minute meeting whether this is worth it for you to spend time thinking about it. And all I want you to do is just have a one-step-at-a-time perspective. We have this first meeting. If it's going to work, then we have a second meeting. If it's not going to work, then we part as friends. And all you've wasted is one hour. I believe, based on the things that you told me, 
that are kind of frustrating you with your situation. And based on what I know about my client's strategic plan and how someone like you might do very well, I think that in itself justifies a short one-hour meeting. That's what I told him. He says, yeah, you know what? Let's do that. I had to kind of nudge him there. Well, he met with my client on Thursday, and both of them are very excited about the prospects, and they're scheduling their second meeting right now. I didn't care about the fee or anything like that. All I cared about was presenting his resume to my client and getting his agreement to meet with my client. I knew that as soon as I'd submit his bio, my client would get excited. So I called him. Let go to the web. You see that guy? Yeah, I see him. Let's schedule a meeting. This guy is a rock star. And he's like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Now, what does my client think about me? He thinks I'm the rock star of recruiters because I got a real high-profile guy in him. My friends, I have I've developed this new client I'm excited about. I mean, I've got others that I still work with. But in the last four weeks, four or five weeks, I presented and have had seven first face-to-face interviews with this one client. None of those candidates were actively looking. None of them had any dissatisfaction. All of them were successful and doing quite well. But I was able to work on my persuasion and influence skills and was able to talk them into going to meet with my client in every conversation. And how I did that was different. That's why you've got to commit yourself to mastering the art of ethical influence. And that's why if you're not a member of the coaching club, check it out. Check it out. Subscribe for 30 days. Watch that video on influence and then cancel if it's not worth it. Now, there's about 200 hours of audio downloads. If you want to shorten your commute, you can stream it directly to your iPhone in your car. If you ride the metro, you can download it, listen to it when you're on the subway. When you're at the gym, if you're on the treadmill, if you want to have a better workout, take me with you. Okay, listen to it. What does it cost? The same as your cable bill, so you can't tell me you can't afford it. It's either a priority for you or it's not. Check it out. You have nothing to lose. There's no long-term commitment. And you'll see why so many people uh, stay with it. And we even have a new Facebook group so that you can interface with other members of the coaching club. Okay, that's the end of the commercial, I promise. So let's listen to one of my guests on the coaching club, Dr. David Durand. You're going to hear him talk about how to overcome call reluctance, and this is an actual excerpt from one of my recent coaching club calls. So David Durand is going to be joining us today. He's a medical doctor, an MD. He moved from a leadership position in medicine to spending the past decade developing his own system of helping business leaders like us make clear, intuitive decisions and negotiate in a way that results in the best possible outcome while not leaving a lot of the table that should have been yours. So this is one of the things he was actually referred to me by Chen Yen, who's a member of our coaching club. And I'm really excited to have David on the call because I'm always looking for ideas outside of the box that help us learn our own craft a little bit better. So, David, if you're there, go ahead and press star three. Excuse me, star six. Press star six, and that will unmute you. And, David, uh, oh, you know what? Actually, hold on. I've got to change the mode of the call. I messed up. My mistake. Hold on just a second. Star Star three. Okay, good. I changed the mode of the call now, David. You can press star six, and that'll unmute you. All right. Can you hear me, Scott? Ah, I hear you just fine. I got a little bit nervous there, and I'm like, what's going on? Oh, it's my mistake. Uh, operator error. Yeah. Ready to go. <laughs> no, but thanks for, for joining us on the coaching club uh, call today, David. Oh, glad to be with you. Yeah, so what we're talking about today, it's call reluctance, meaning the reluctance to pick up the phone and close the deal whenever you've established contact or not. Uh, And we all know that in this business, I think recruiting, it's an all-or-nothing business. If you don't give it your all, you end up with nothing. Uh, I believe that if you give 100% effort and energy and focus, then you'll get 100% return. If you give 80% effort, then you're only going to get about a 20 to 30% return. I really think that it's that tipping point that keeps people in our business from doing very well when they could. And that call reluctance is an issue. The fear, it keeps people from picking up that phone. And I know some days the phone weighs 40 pounds. We all get that. You've got you to gotta accept it and find ways to really get the energy and, and, and push through that. And so, so David, let's kind of start with some questions here about the, the topic. What, uh, what's the problem with calling someone when you're feeling reluctant? Well, 
it's the biggest problem is that the other person picks up on it. And there was a sort of a funny line in the movie Jerry Maguire where there's an older salesman in a uh, suit in an oak uh, furniture-filled office, you know, and he says in a kind of squeaky voice, you can't sell anybody if you don't love everybody. And, <laughs> you know, it's a good line to kind of meditate on if you have a chance today. You know, if you can't sell, you can't sell anybody if you don't love everybody. And I'm going to be laying that out in more detail. But basically, the gist of that is that people pick up on the fact that we don't uh, like them, or if you will, we don't love them. Of course, it's not romantic love we're talking about. We're talking about a, uh, a relationship with a client. But if you're reluctant to call someone, they pick up on the feeling, right, that, hey, you don't really want to be on this call. And they feel like they're not liked, and you simply then, what, what is it? What's left? You want to get something from them. And so you've turned it into, you know, a win-lose kind of thing where they're just, you know, uh, they don't know what they're going to get, but they know you want something. So when you come without the reluctance, they have a good feeling. And, um, but, but then they, there's a real trick here because the positive mental attitude people would like to tell us, you know, just fake it, be positive. But people pick up on right. fakes too. Right, you can't ultimately fake liking someone. Have you ever, you know, met someone who tried to do that? You know, you, you know what I'm talking about. So being cheerful on top of misery is just a cover-up. So if the phone does feel that, you know, 40 pounds one day, um, you know, that kind of misery will leak through the the facade uh, over the phone. And what this all means is that the only way out of the feeling of reluctance is to basically get rid of it. You have to get to a point where the feeling isn't in you, more or less, and we'll get to the limits of that, what, what you want to shoot for. And the other pe- person then feels like you're clear, you're likable, they're much more open to doing business with you when they like you, obviously, that, that we all know. Um, but here's the key. If you want to do more business, become a more loving person in every area of your life. You know, you have to look at every area of your life that feeds into, f- feeds into sorry, uh, your feeling of reluctance. And what happens is, you know, when you do that kind of work, it raises your energy. And when you right. get past the negative feeling, like reluctance, your energy goes up. Right, right. And, and what, what do you mean when it raises your energy? Well, people can feel the level of love that you're able to achieve, that likability factor. And it, that determines your energy level. And the, the you know, crux of it is in, in making these deals with your clients uh, the highest energy wins in any negotiation. You know, if you're in a low energy, you're in a place where, you know, you can basically be taken advantage of and, you know, vice versa. Um, but you don't want to dominate your client. We'll get to why that is later. But, you know, the command from Paul was to love all, right? If there are a lot of things mm-hmm. that, that we hate in this world, they'll come and find us, basically, <laughs> whether it's on the phone mm-hmm. or, or wherever. They'll find you. Yeah, you know? yeah. So so you actually mean that we can get what we want in situations just by being that loving kind of person, by being in that high energy. Right. Essentially, as long as it's a win-win kind of situation. It's Of course, you have to start from the point of professionalism. You have to know your facts. We all know that, right? You have to be on your game in terms of the facts and your training. You know, uh, So professionalism is certainly key, but that's basically assumed. You know, and what the person is most focusing on is that energy level that you're conveying over the phone. It's something you have to achieve by giving it your full attention before you go on the call. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's, you're absolutely right, and I've never considered it that way before. But the way I look at, you know, anybody that recruits in a niche where they're dealing with high-level prospects, you know, whether it's a CEO or whatever, people that are very successful – they became successful by working in that world of people skills. You know, and they have those kind of people skills. So as a result, they can pick up these tells and indicators and these patterns when they know somebody's not being sincere. Somebody isn't really being in that state of putting their needs ahead of their own. You know, that, 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 that high energy state. Um, yeah, that's so kind of getting that. Yeah, yeah. just to interject one more thing. Yeah, it's a good point you make about uh, these clients. You want the best clients, right? And the best clients are going to be of the highest energy. They're going to know this stuff, basically. They're, they'll have this toolkit, and they'll feel you out, and they'll pick up on, you know, the fact that you're playing a game with them or not. You know, you're being straight you, and if you're in a high energy, too. Um, they'll pick up on it very quickly. That's how they got to where they got to, and that's why you want to do business with them.
Yeah, yeah. So, so kind of looking at the call reluctance issue, why do people have that feeling of call reluctance in the first place? Well, you know, it's not our fault, basically. You know, it's like that uh, Matt Damon character uh, in Goodwill Hunting. You know, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's true because we've been programmed, basically. If we feel like the phone is heavy, it's because we've been programmed because it doesn't make any sense as I'll, you know, get into just shortly. But, you know, when you feel you're like you're not in control and instead that the feeling of reluctance has control over you, then you've given up, you know, control to your program of reluctance. The program is now running you. And the program basically says, if I make this call, it could kill me, which is ridiculous. But your ego believes that you literally, you literally could die if you well, fail. Well, to I've make had a some call. calls almost that bad, by the way. But, um. <laughs> well, that's why comedians say, you know, I went out there and I died, you know, <laughs> uh, because that's what it feels like to an ego. But it's a, it's basically a primitive response from what some uh, scientists have called the reptilian brain that motivates, you know, the fight or flight response, right? So. Mm-hmm. You get into this place where you feel like you're in a fight where, hey, it's just a telephone call, right? But you actually feel as though you have to be protected from making the call. Can you actually be killed by making a telephone call? If you ask yourself that simple question, you know, when you feel reluctant, just ask yourself the question. Write it down. Can, you actually, can I actually be killed by making this call? And you'll laugh and you'll that will help you get past it. I'll give you some other ways mm-hmm. as we go on. But your ego really does think it's going to be killed. So when we're reluctant to do the things we say we want to do, like I want to make this call, right? I want business. Then, And then we you know, run on these programs. We're really acting like an insane person. We're running on this program that repeats over and over, and it'll keep running, and it'll pop up when we're, you know, our energy drops for whatever reason. As you just said, you know, sometimes the phone feels heavier. Well, that's just something, it's coming up again until we move past it consciously. We have to consciously move past it rather than just, you know, brush over it. So when you understand this, that every feeling that we have, that you have, is, is not that is not positive, it's basically just a signal revealing an underlying program that's like a block, then you can really deal with them and tear them down and get to your success. So it's like a a program, you said. So so how do these programs start in the first place then? Well, it's important to understand this because it gives you, you know, an understanding of yourself and your deepest, you know, the things that are driving you at a very deep level. So uh, all programs are programmed in by the feeling of fear. So an example of this is you know, what can happen is we, we decide to do something, right? And the consequences after we took it, action were damaging. So an example in, in the um, auto realm is we decided to drive for the first time. And some, this happens to some kids when they go out at 17 with their parents. You know, they, they hit another car or they get hurt in an accident. And so now we're actually damaged. So the ego says, whoa, you know, I do have to be cautious. Right, so it has. There are excuses like you're going to fail when you make calls. You're going to fail. We know that it's a percentage game, right? Of of making a certain mm-hmm. number of wins out of the total number of calls. So, by definition, you're going to be damaged, you know, quote unquote, if you take it that way. So, if you get this feeling of caution that comes up when you get slapped in the face and somebody you really wanted as a client doesn't say yes, you know, the program mm-hmm. says I need to be more careful. I need to be more fearful, actually, because then I'll be careful of these bad outcomes. And if I don't, it could happen again, and I might die, right? In auto accidents, you know, you can actually die, of course, but um, on the phone, you can't. But you're still running the same kind of a program. So, you know, uh, it could even be we've been programmed by a fear that rose from a completely unrelated area of our life. So in the past, as a kid, it may have been that we were reluctant to ask a girl or a boy to dance, and that can actually stick with somebody. could be you were reluctant to ask a, a date out to dinner, uh, invest your money in a stock, right? You invest your money in a stock, um, and it dropped by 50%, and now you're reluctant, right? That reluctance right. is an energy, and it crosses over to everything uh, else in your life. So you become reluctant about this and that and the other thing. So it's interesting, but it all ties in. Um, And then, you know, on a call, of course, that can add to your general feeling of reluctance. So um, the the feeling of reluctance that was programmed into our consciousness makes us feel like we're headed toward another bump, right, another disaster. 
that's what we saw it as when we that girl said no or something at the dance or mm-hmm. you know um or wouldn't go out to dinner um and the two become you know associated in our mind so when you're programmed you just become reactive non-thinking and the client then has the feeling that we're ill at ease right if you're fearful you're ill at ease and then the other person feels like they have to protect their, themselves right if somebody is afraid of you right. If if I'm afraid of you, what what are you going to think? Like, well, you might I might strike out right to defend myself or something, and then you have to protect yourself, and it's just this negative, you know, energy flowing back and forth over the telephone. So I wanted to mm-hmm. actually I wanted to ask you if you could from the you know the area of mm-hmm. recruiting recruiting business, what are the kinds of programming events that you've seen that you know uh, causes you know uh, recruiters to be programmed by fear? What what are the sorts of things that you see? I think this business tends to attract those that are generally sociable people, you know, not necessarily mm-hmm. introverts, but people that are extroverts, people that have a propensity for sales. You know, I think it attracts them, and those people generally care about what other people think. And we don't want to do anything that's going to cause people to say, I don't like you. And rejection is a way that we feel, I don't like you. So I think some recruiters have to translate that no into, well, I'm one step closer to a yes. Or they learn to detach from that, you know, high expectation, low attachment ratio. I expect everything I touch to turn to gold, but if it doesn't work out, I'm not attaching any negative meanings to that. They have to process that, and they mature to the point that they can separate that. You know, what are the feelings that I have, and what are the facts? Oh, you know, I don't have to feel that way. I choose to be in control of my emotions. I choose to stay in that positive state and not to let that bother me because I've processed it, and logically I know they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting the opportunity so they can still like me. You know, so I think, I think that's one kind of programming event that people might have that they have to, they have to really understand and, and detach it and detach from that, that negative response. They make um, it personal, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, it might, it might be too personal. Let me think. There was another idea I had. Hold on a second. I, yeah, and, I think um, right, and like with a date, right? We take it personally when when somebody rejects us uh, after the first date. Well, maybe you know they're just you're just not meant to be with that particular person. You're not meant to do business with that particular client. So the rejection by itself is uh, clearly not a personal thing in most cases. I mean, it's very it would be very odd to have it be personal, right, on a first call. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But and the I, ego I takes it personally. People. Yeah, sorry. That, that's true. It does. And 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 I think a recruiter can manage that by being aware, like, and some of the things that you're talking about, and also, you know, getting good in their salesmanship, turning that no into a yes, you know, and building the type of authentic rapport that can at least get candidates. And because most of the cold calling we make is to candidates recruiting, not so much to clients to sell. You know, when we make calls to clients, it's more about a specific candidate or another means, not just to sell our services, but like the candidates. You know, if there's 200 people on this list, I know somebody's going to say yes. And logically, I understand that, and I have to separate that negative emotion from this, knowing that I'm in control of how I feel, and uh, and even getting better with the sales skills. You know, I, I did a, a call with a, with a friend of mine who's done legal recruiting for a long time. He's an ex-lawyer. And I was telling him, when the candidate tells you no, that's when you have to go to work. That's when the sales job begins. And he'd never understood that before and, and told him, you know, you've got to find ways to overcome that. So I think um, – so I can see that that primary programming event is when the candidate says no. And that's where the work begins. That's where we have to work at converting them. You know, this business is built on two things, conversations and conversions, turning that no to a yes and being able to – have that mental resilience to detach from that negative outcome so we can still be in that fighting stance moving forward and being assertive to stay and aggressive about picking up the phone. Yeah. So what, being in a positive what, uh, energy, I would, you know, I, I just inflected a little bit, you know, to say, you know, you can be in a quote fighting position by simply being in a high energy, you know, by being in a very yeah, positive yeah. state that says, Hey, I know my stuff. I've got a great you know, opportunity for, you and you know i stand by that and if it's not for you that's fine you know next call but as you say you may go then go back to a client and and go further and you have to get past the reluctance that might come up from the initial yo no as you as you said 
So what, what do you think is key then? You know, from your experience, what do you think is the key to addressing this kind of call reluctance? You know, how do you eliminate that sort of negative program? Well, the, the key is basically to do what I call uh, arriving at a transcendent place. And that means to get past the feeling in a deliberate and reproducible way. So there's an actual process to, to doing that. Um, and so, so how, do you, how do you get past that? Yeah, so, so the simplest method that I share in, in this kind of a forum, there are more advanced methods that I obviously use with my clients that we can't get into on one call, but the simplest approach to start with is to just be present with a feeling. So I help clients, you know, achieve that sense of presence with other means, but the first step is just be present with it. When you're truly present with a feeling, it's basically the feeling of being in the zone where you feel sort of unassailable, not egotistical, just, you know, unassailable, where everything works mm -hmm. out to the greatest good for both parties on the call, whatever happens, you know. So kind of like uh, being compared in sports, like a sports metaphor. Yeah, like uh, Tiger Woods, for example, who has not been very present in his personal life, as we're very aware from the press he's gotten. Um, but he's extremely present on the golf course. And, you know, have you ever heard him afterwards talking to the press in a haughty way about, you know, how good he is as a golfer? No, no. Yeah, you, you don't hear that, right? He, he sounds very humble, actually unusually humble, for the, you know, given the fact that he's absolutely one of the greatest golfers who's ever lived. But you don't see that kind of over-the-edge pride in him. It's just a, you know, gentle knowing, hey, I know my stuff, right? Because when you're present, mm -hmm. you know who you are, you know you're unassailable from the standpoint of ego, you know, not being at risk, okay? I'm not at risk. I'm just a professional, and I'm serving at my best level for those I'm providing my service to, these clients, right? There's yeah, no excess yeah, pride. Yeah, go ahead. But when, when Muhammad Ali would talk, you know, when, yeah, I, yeah. you know, a lot of people thought he was arrogant, but I think that was more his own personal affirmation. There, he was just stating the fact that I'm the greatest, I'm the best, you know, fly like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Yeah, you see, and that is a great example of the fact that, see, our words over the phone don't convey our full meaning. And when he was in the ring, you know, um, who is that sports? Howard Cosell, right, was the sports announcer. That's right, yeah. that he became Howard famous Cosell, right. with Cosell by, you know, kind of mm -hmm. sparring with him after he fought and before he fought. But, um, no, he, he didn't really have a big ego down deep. It was, on, it was like playful on the surface. But if you do get into pride, it's a big stopping point on the growth path. And it, it, once it kicks in, it can really bring you to a halt. It can reverse your progress. And you see people like Trump who get, you know, occasionally they, get, they step in it, right, and he gets overextended in his businesses into, you know, being the uh, being the gambling king, and he was really his forte was was real estate, and he got into gambling, and he took it, big big hits. So eventually, yeah. prideful people are stopped, even if it's aging or sickness. You know, I had a had a relative, I won't name names, but I had a relative who was very you know famous, and he met with lots of famous people and stuff, and and there was a lot of that you know going on when he was in his career. Well, when his career ended, he had to come up with a different story. So why not come up with a different story now and and be like Tiger, who is you know, he knows who he is. He knows what he can do. You know you can close calls. You've done it before, and here I am on the phone. You know, so one of the qualities of people who are in presence is humility. It's a good thing to watch for, you know, in yourself. Yeah, so pride, it can be a stopping point down the road, but at the start, there is this feeling of reluctance. So how can I, so if I feel reluctant, how can I still become present with that? All right, so you just literally sit with the feeling. So you can do this after the call and just, you know, think of a client that you're reluctant to call or when you're ready to call. I'll go through this in a moment. It's a process you can kind of, a sequence you can go through before you pick up the phone uh, every time. And, but just feel it and notice it. And in some circles they call this witnessing, but you do have to be careful because you can't be distant from the feeling. You actually have to feel it. You have to feel it, be present with it, and then you'll notice that it just kind of moves out on its own. Why? Because uh, one thing I say to people is, you, you know, you, you haven't been happy your whole life. You haven't been sad your whole life. Feelings, they, they kind of come and they go, right? So you know by experience that, that, you know, you will get past a feeling simply by being present with it and feeling it. That's it. You and what does that it. do? Yeah, so... 
the way we're built is that this dissipation happens once we pay attention. And, and the thing that many people do is they treat their feelings by suppressing them, by pushing them you know, to lower levels where they can't sense them, right? So they drink them to go away, watch movies, you know, watch tons of movies. They watch, uh, you know, Breaking Bad, 12 episodes in a row. <laughs> or, oh, you know, oh, over... That's me. <laughs> <laughs> Over-exercising, you know, people, they have to run 10 miles every day. Well, you know, somebody might have a purpose for doing it, but a lot of people run too much, you know, they they don't need that. But the alcohol wears off, movie ends, right? And the high from the exercise, the endorphins pass away. And then we're left with what we were trying to submerge. The feeling's still there. It was just covered up. And that's exactly why, you know, psychiatric medicines don't heal people. They're not, it's not that they're not helpful at times, but what they mainly do is they help, you know, to protect us from these people, and they protect some people, obviously, who might hurt themselves from doing that. And that's, you know, that's fine if it serves that role. But what you see is a lot of internists will put somebody on an de- antidepressant for years, and they never check back in with them. And what they're doing is they're just suppressing feelings. So my advice is don't suppress them. Feel them. And if you have to suppress them temporarily, fine. I, I admit that there are circumstances. But if you ignore feelings, the ir- irony of uh, is that they program you to an even greater level of fear. So if you tell somebody, oh, just make a bunch of calls, and they keep feeling fearful every time they do it, that actually strengthens the program. And then they just kind of snap. Um, if you ignore a program long enough, you just kind of snap. Their body gets sick, relationship crash, crashes, or their business you know, breaks down, and they, they just are, you know, have had it. And that's what Oprah calls the two-by-four, right? You just get hit over the head with it. So uh, their reluctance, I mean, their call reluctance, what they're faced with every day, that resistance, it can make them feel sick. Yeah, it can actually make people physically sick. And resistance, when you think about it, it's the basis for a lot of body issues like hypertension, is resistance within your blood vessels. You know, the heart gets faces a resistance and you end up with a heart attack or, a, you know, thrombosis or actually, um, you know, tension in the blood vessels of the heart itself. Uh, called That's called a spasm, but that's basically resistance, right? In a pipe, it's resistance, causes strokes. Um, and then your immune system breaks down from stress, the stress of reluctance. So it's definitely something you want to not suppress because it's going to go, the deepest point for any feeling is your body, and you're going to dump it into your body. And resistance is the basis for that kind of stress. And reluctance is a form of resistance, right? I'm resistant to making the call. That's right. Let me kind of, you know, press pause. And I'm curious about your medical background. You know, is this, is this what you'd observed as a, as a physician, is that how you kind of really learned a lot of this? Well, yes, and, I, you know, experimenting with myself, right, I've, I've practiced all this stuff myself and seen it work, and, and then I've applied it, developed my own methods and approaches and seen how you can take somebody in it. I can take, work someone with an arrhythmia in an ER and within uh, 10 minutes help them to convert their rhythm back with no, you know, no drugs, just over the phone. So how does that work? Well, it's because your mind has a tremendous, you know, power over the state of your body. Your body is kind of pictured in your mind. And um, so if you ignore these deep feelings and you ignore reluctance before you go on the phone, not only does it endanger your call, but it actually doesn't help you physically either. Right, right. So to kind of summarize then what you said earlier, uh, you feel that this feeling of reluctance, and by simply feeling it, you can eliminate that. Yeah, you can do it, and no one should believe it on the phone. If you haven't done that, you know, test it. And once you demonstrate it, that it works, that you actually feel like the call went better, you were in a better place, you'll do it again, and then you'll do it again. Mm -hmm. And once you get into a practice, you're really, you know, I mean, you've made progress at that point. Um, but it's the energy that gets us from keeps us stuck and uh, from moving forward, you know, in any area yeah. of our life. So, so what are the other effects that these resistances will have on us? Well, it basically keeps us from having what we say verbally that we want. So now we're going to your kind of general business and the flow of your business from the reluctance itself. It's, it, we're going to, I guess, the reluctance about your business and having it grow fast. Right, so mm-hmm. we say we want to grow our business fast. We want to have, you know, a lot more clients, whatever the particular goal is. But then we're reluctant to call the people who will give us the business, which is insanity, really. I mean, that's insane, right? Yeah. So 
you you have to consider it before you make every call, and then you won't go into it that way. You won't build up the feeling, and you'll break down this block. You know, even if it's small. Even mm-hmm. come, why do you want to have a forty-pound phone every three weeks? You know, you don't need that. So yeah. when we're resistant to something, the the trouble in terms of the the principles of creation are that you're actually holding that negative thing in your con- consciousness, right? You're you're saying that you know something's in my way as I go on this call, and you know you're re- I'm resistant to my own success. So how can you possibly make progress, right? The the law is ask and you shall receive. And a funny lady uh, in between Gaines once said, you know, that spiritual laws are true whether you believe in them or not. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you, know, you, you, have to, you can test it, but that adage is definitely true. But you have to ask clearly. So if you go, are going on the phone from a point of reluctance, you're actually saying yes and no simultaneously. You know, you're canceling out your yeah, you're positive right. results. The conflict. The conflict. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's, it's like... Uh, for exa- an example of that would be going into a supermarket and walking up to the clerk and saying, I really want to buy milk and I really don't want to buy milk. You know, the clerk would think you're just crazy, right? It's insanity not yeah. to want something, you know, not not to internally be clear on what you want and then to, to be reluctant to it is just, you know, running in the opposite direction against the grain. So what do they call it, like cognitive dissonance, something like that? Yeah, yeah. You know, just that, that holding the discomfort of holding two different conflicting thoughts. ideas simultaneously. Yeah, you can't do it basically, and it, and it causes stress to do it because it doesn't feel good, right? It doesn't feel good to say I want more business, I want to make this call, and then say, oh, but if I make this call, you know, uh, I just have a bad feeling about this call. Why go on the call? You know, why go on the call with the feeling that I, I I'm reluctant to make this call? So, I mean, the principle. <laughs> isn't magic. I mean, it's, it's something that you can test. It works. And you will notice your resistance breaking down more and more. The 40 pound phone will disappear, you know, over time. Right, right. So, so let's go back to what you were calling a win-win. You know, what if the deal is lopsided? Yeah. So when a deal is lopsided, you're going to tend toward reluctance, right? Because you know, the deal isn't fair. The one person is going to be hurt. And that's what is called karma is payback. And payback can take, you know, kind of years to develop um, or it can happen very quickly. But the key is before you go on that phone, make sure the deal is something that you could live with if you were in the other person's shoes. You know, you can beat somebody Mm -hmm. out of something. You can trick them. But the tricking only happens for a short time. And in in your business, I take it, right, you'd want long-term winning relationships. That's right. Right? Mm -hmm. It's not about the one-shot deal that's going to build your business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So and, and I. Uh, yeah. So could you say maybe you could, with them? Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, didn't mean. I was, I was going to say I've seen it with them in my own practice and other people I've coached a lot, uh, where mm-hmm. people they know that they've got to make calls, but that fear outweighs you know the fear of rejection, whatever it is, and they do feel that conflict, that cognitive dissonance, where they know they've got to do this, but they also have that sting of pain, and so the pain's going to win out, and, and unless they make a focused effort. And they're aware of it, and they follow the steps to overcome that. And that's something that has been rewarding to me when I used to do a lot of coaching for people in the business was working with them and being right there with them. I'm their wingman. I'm going to help them through this and give them ways to overcome that and hold them accountable. Uh, But some people, the fear is greater, and maybe they're not at the right place to push back or push through that or to resolve that. Maybe it's just not the right time for them to really give that amount of energy that it, they need to to be successful in this business. Maybe the timing's off, but uh, but those are some of the things I've seen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wanted to ask you actually from the prior thought of like where have you seen a win lose you know come out with a bad outcome? Like uh, you know just a sense of why do you feel like uh, setting up those kinds of deals? Uh, you know just is a bad place to start. <laughs> I think I think if you if, if 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 somebody pursues the business where they know it's not going to be a mutual satisfaction of needs for everybody, if it's not going to be fair for everybody, you know, I, I always look at it as it's either win-win or it's no deal. You know, either the deal has to be good for everybody, or we part as friends. And you know, drawing that line and not in choosing 
not to do anything unless I can serve the other guy. You know, just like a meditation in my own life. And I shared this a couple weeks ago is, you know, asking for people to be put in my path whom I can serve. You know, who are those people? That I, and that's the way I look at my job as a recruiter. You know, sure, I want my clients to hire people that only come from me. <laughs> you know, and, and sure, yeah. I, I, want, I want my clients to make it a good fit. But it has to be where we place their personal self-interest, you know, their, their improving of their condition ahead of any sort of monetary gain. And if we focus on that and we're good at that, then we're going to make more, ironically, because we're relegating our own self-interest below their improvement of their condition. And if we have a candidate where we know that their deal with their current firm is better than our client's situation, well, we, we can't obviously put a square peg in a round hole. But we have that hope of the opportunity. We believe that there could be something, so we have to use that almost as energy that gives us the, the justification to try to turn them around, to investigate that. And after we investigate it, if we realize it's not going to be a good fit, we have to agree to part as friends. We can't, we can't try to push it forward. Otherwise, you have a, like a forced conversion, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Absolutely. You know, it has to be in everybody's best interest. And that's, and even telling the candidates and telling the clients, because in our business, we have a double sell. We've got to sell the clients. We've got to sell our clients' opportunities to candidates. You know, even telling both sides that this process, it's either a win-win or it's no deal. You know, our job is to find candidates, put them in front of you where we can improve their condition, coach you on how to do that, negotiate the cup to where we're ultimately striving for a mutual satisfaction of needs. Everybody gets what they want. And if one side doesn't get what they want, then we part as friends. And the candidates like that because they feel like they're not being pressured into doing something. We tell them, you should only do what's in your own best interest. And that's the only thing that counts. If you don't think my client is going to be the best situation for you, I'm okay with that. I just don't want you to dodge my calls because you don't want to hurt my feelings because you don't want to change your career path to join my client. You know, we kind of laugh about that, but it relieves them and it releases that pressure that they might feel from me. And then they feel yeah. closer to me. So if there is an issue, well now, we, well, now we can at least talk about that issue and investigate that to determine, is that a deal killer or is it a deal complicator? Can we still work through that? Yeah, right. You can do a lot more work if you're coming from that high energy of, of having a win-win yeah, and I like that. I mean, I like the way that you've taken that and you've kind of put it in a nice little package with a pretty ribbon on it. You know, now I can see that that's the energy, you know, just that high level of energy, you know, being incongruent with your values, not feeling that that uh, that cognitive dissonance, you know, not feeling that, that split or that schism in your value system, you know, kind of being congruent and then seeing that that's why people, you know, they might get sick if they try it. And yeah. gosh, you're, you know... Right. Go ahead, sir. No, I was going to say that's that's great. I'd never really I'd never really considered any of that. Yeah, before. it can even make you ill. Right. Exactly. <laughs> never never even thought about that. Ne- had no idea why. But you're right. I mean, because it is stressful. This this is I always say this is a job that you'll either absolutely fall in love with, and you'll not be able to stop thinking about it, or you're going to hate it. You know, it's it's you never find someone that says, "How do you like being an executive recruiter?" Ah, it's okay. There is like you know, I tried it. It wasn't for me. Or they're like, I can't stop thinking about it. It's like playing, you know, playing games all day. It's so much fun. Well, well you're you know? helping people make futures. It's a pretty powerful thing to do, really. Yeah, and it it's is a pretty great fun. gift to yeah. give people, you know. So, so kind of looking at the practice of what we do, you know, you know, what, could we outline something, you know, to use before we're making that call? What exactly are the action steps? Like what's the takeaway? What's the application that a recruiter yeah. can use uh, to apply okay. what you're talking about? So first, you know, just take a moment. You've got to have a new protocol. If you don't have this built in, redo your protocol. Before you pick up the phone, put put a little sign on the phone that you actually fit, have to physically take off that will remind you to do this step. You're taking a step to be quiet, and in that moment where you're just observing, you feel those feelings of reluctance that you have around calling the client. And then what you do is, you, as I said, you just become present with them. Feel them. Go into them. Don't run away. Go into them and actually feel them until they dissipate, at least mostly. And then you're prepared for the call. And why bother to pick up the phone if you're, if you're reluctant? It's like picking up a phone, you know, with a bomb attached to your, you know, mouthpiece. I mean, it's just trouble. 
waiting to happen, right? Right. So if if you so you don't one other key again going back to comedians, they never get rid of all their fear, which is reluctance, right? Like Carson used to say, Jimmy Carson. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, now I'm blocking on his first name. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, well, you know, uh, no, I was talking about Carson himself. He used to say before he went on stage, he was afraid. You know, I think Letterman has said the same thing. Um, and I think I was, I was, uh, you know, bridging Jimmy Kimmel to uh, Car- <laughs> Carson. But yeah, we're going to have to send everybody to Wikipedia. All the younger listeners are going to have to go to <laughs> the History Channel to find out what we're talking about, you know. But anyway, so the – right. Um, but comedians uh, – well, they know Conan. They know, you know. But they say that, that they are afraid still when they go on stage. But it's not overwhelming, right? They They get to a point where it's pretty minimal. So don't worry if there's – uh, by the way, it's Johnny Carson, you know, so your brain freezes uh, f- uh, f- freeze up eventually. See? But um, the last bit of l- reluctance, you don't have to get past. It's just the bulk of it. So don't worry about the last bit. And so then you're emotionally prepared. And before, you know, you were intellectually prepared, maybe you, you basically, you may have you've used something like an affirmation or something, but you have to go to the feeling level. And I'm going to give you another application of this that is really powerful. It is incredibly powerful if you adopt this practice. And it, and it also pertains to these clients and your introduction to them very often, and that is email. Do the same process, exact same process, before you click send. This, is, this thing is priceless. This is good gold. You reread any email, and you're going to find lines in there that don't convey exactly what you want to say. Okay, they don't feel the energy of the line and say, would I want to hear that? You know, is that the right way to inflect that? And if it's not, then clean up the email, right? Rewrite each line that feels like it's off, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they'll, the reaction to your email will be much more positive. And wow. you have a big advantage there because you have that whole – everything you're saying, right? You know what you want to say in an email and in a phone conversation is more spontaneous, but – you know, in an email, you do have much more control. So, but people shoot out these emails with these like scattered comments, like that, just you know, are like little bombs in their email. You know, why why not take them out? <laughs> so, so um, is there anything else we need to do prior to making that call? What else can we do to remove that call reluctance? Well, you were you were ref- alluding to this earlier. I like the way you were putting it in terms of having an intention toward your business, but you need it also to also have a clear intention for what you want from each call. Like really think about that client in detail. What do you want for them from this call? What do you want to give them? And what do you want? You know, it's not a one way street. So consider what is it that I exactly want to accomplish with this call? It may be, with you know some clients you you know it's going to take a while to work with them or whatever and there's going to be more than one call you know i don't know the particular situations will come up for you but um but having a specific attention even if it's just to get to know them a little bit better and set up at the stage for the next call having that clear intention will keep that focused and your conversation will have much less reluctance because you know what where you're headed you know you know what you want you know what they want what you want for mm-hmm. them you know, so I would just say, you know, if you'd like to learn more about this, um, you know, you can certainly do like what I call a strategy session with me on your business. It, I don't charge for it. It's a free process to see, you know, what we could do together. Um, and you can go to, could I give them the, uh, the link? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, lead in presence. So that's L-E-A-D-N-I-N. Presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E dot com, lead in, leadinpresence.com. You can send me a message through the contact box. Go to the bottom of the page, and you'll find the link to the home page. Shoot me a message. Or you can call me at 941-554-4064. That's, uh, let me just repeat that, 941-554-4064. And I'd be glad to talk with anybody on this line. That's great. What, uh, so what are some other things? Any, any other suggestions? That that we would need to uh, uh, to make it a good call. Let me let's kind of review that. I, I got like three things. One of them was to feel those emotions. The other one was to remove the negative energy, and the third was to clarify our, our intention. Mm-hmm. 
Is that, is that an accurate a, summary of, of what the... That's a great place. Yeah, that's a great place to start. I mean, you can whittle it down to its basics. That's, yeah, you, I would put it in the order of, I'd set, um, I'd set my intention first. I'd probably reverse the order a little bit. You know, set your intention first, and then, I mean, it's fine to do it in any order, but, you know, and then move to, do I feel reluctant? Stop yourself. Don't pick up the phone until that dissipates. And then, then you're, you know, you're ready to go. If there's some deeper thing, you know, that you need to investigate, then you, you may, you know, if you still feel like, wow, I don't want to make this call. I'm, I'm, I've sat with this and it's just not changing. Then, you know, there's some deeper program potentially. So the next step beyond these initial approaches is to dig deeper. That's some of the work that I do on an individual basis, you know. But um, great. this okay, is a good. great place to start. This is something you can use use with your spouse, you know, being present with your spouse. You feel reluctant to go out on a date with your wife or, you know, your husband, as the case may be, you know, that's not going to help the, the time out with them, right? So apply right. this across your whole life. You, with your kids, if you're, you know, reluctant about something they're doing, you, you know, it means you have to have a talk about it. It's, it points out where we have work to do, basically. Wherever we feel resistance, right. reluctance, we know down deep there's some stuff that needs to be looked at so we can really get what we, we say we want verbally. You know, we say we want this stuff. We want a good relationship with our kids, with our spouse, in our business, with our clients. And then we're in this state of conflict as, as we discussed today, you know, so. And, and, David, I think what you're talking about, once a recruiter learns the basics, you know, throwing the ball, catching blocking, tackling, you know, the basic fundamentals. And once they have an elementary level knowledge of that, where they can best improve in their skills, in their tactical skills, is by not focusing on those tactical skills, but some of the things that you're talking about, you know, because a character issue. I, I Having coached a lot of people mm -hmm. in this business and met a lot of folks, the, the, the reasons why they're not succeeding always point back to character issues, things like this. Uh, so I just wanted to thank you uh, sincerely for being on our call and sharing this with us. I think just to take this knowledge and to increase our, you know, really our domain expertise of of how we overcome these fears, you know, to give us that knowledge gives us a little bit more of an edge, and that's what we're looking for. So thanks for joining us. And by the way, uh, we've got maybe about uh, 15 minutes left. Do you have time for maybe one or two questions from people uh, on the coaching club call today? Oh, sure, sure. Great. So we've got, uh, and by the way, we had an announcement that if you are one of the first three members to ask a question, and we won't have time for three questions today, maybe one or two, uh, you'll get a free copy of the Getting Better MP3 or the 10 Core Competencies ebook. But uh, Sherry Davidson, I know you'd emailed earlier today. If you're there, go ahead and press star six. And uh, if you have a question, we can, we can answer that related to call reluctance. And if not, then we'll go to the next caller. If somebody has a question about call reluctance for us today, go ahead and press star six, and that'll unmute you. Hey, Scott. Yes, Scott. Hey, it's Dan. Yeah, hey, Dan, how are you? Good. I've got a, Hello, um, a question. Hey, how are you, David? Um, Good. Thanks. This is really helpful. Um, what is your thought? I don't know if you, I missed the first couple of minutes, so apologies if you already mentioned this, but using scripts versus just kind of speaking off the cuff in terms of how that plays into all of the call reluctance in your experience. Yeah, I'll speak to it from my standpoint then, Scott. Maybe you can um, speak to it from, you know, uh, your your viewpoint. But um, sure. I would say that a script um, <clears throat> has the potential to distance you from the client. So that's the catch but one of my mentors, um, you know, in teaching recommended that you basically know exactly what you're going to say, but then be very spontaneous about it. So ha you have kind of the script handy as a backup, but it does have – things have to flow, right, to sound genuine and to be connected. You have to be listening right. and not, not just reading, right? So um, I think – that you have a, a structure and then you depart from that to keep it personal, you know, keep it connected. And that, that is presence, by the way. When someone feels that you're really listening to them, 
um, they feel your presence. The people want to be listened to. You know, it's a big, big right. part of the that relationship you're building. But you have something to uh, add to that, Scott? I think it depends on the person. Some people, and this is why it's always beneficial to listen to calls that you make that are recorded, so you hear how you really sound. I mean, just even in the last two weeks, I've been listening to some of my own calls and freaking out because I thought I was good, Dan. I thought I was good <laughs> until I heard how I, how I really sound, and it's a wake-up call, and that shows that you can always get better. So now I've got some goals just to polish up my speech just a little bit more, a little bit tighter, a little bit more precise. So in in hearing how people sound, some people sound like they're reading from a script. Uh, I think for them, kind of like what uh, what David was saying, maybe bullet points. You know, have a bullet point of the process that we're going through. You know, instead of word for word, just bullet points, reminders. You know, you know, overcome. You know, it could be just one like a one word reminder to kind of keep them on track. Uh, other people, they you know, you look at actors on a stage or people on television, actors on television, they're reading word for word from scripts, but they don't sound like it. So I think it depends on the person. If someone is reading from a script and they sound like it, give them the bullet points. If someone's reading from a script and it sounds fluid, that might not be a bad way to go. So I think it really depends on, on the skill level. And maybe not the skill, maybe it's just the style of the person that's, uh, that's making the call. You have to Scott, connect. how did you get... You have to connect. If you, you know, the key, the key is the energetic connection. You know, they were the one regarding the other, right? And, and having a real, real conversation, not just uh, you know a, a script flying off, you know, in a certain sequence. So yeah, I think those are good guidelines. Yeah, good. And cool. Dan, did you have a follow-up Thank you. question? I was just going to say that the fact, you know, listen to me listening to myself on a recording doing a cold call feels much scarier than actually a cold call itself because I'm just terrified as to what I might, you know, to shatter this belief that I actually think that I may be okay at it, um, which would be almost traumatizing. That's really great that you did that um, and faced your fears by listening to yourself on a call because that's really scary to do. It's it's helpful because you know, and by the way, everybody else, Dan is my biggest competitor in D.C., so and my biggest friend, so whenever we meet, we don't talk about names of clients, but we help each other out, you know, and when you have that kind of relationship, you know, and you know the niche, you know, then you can be very candid to help each other get better. And I think, I think um, for, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of past the point of matching the big words, you know, in my, in my legal niche. And Dan, you practice law, so for you, this is your world. And I'm more conversant. I'm not fluent. I'm conversant. So it still helps me to learn that my, my trade, my niche, of, of my mm-hmm. the domain knowledge of my niche a little bit more. And that's another reason why I do that, just to go back over the conversations I've had with people to help it sink in the second time. But I think, and, and that's really why I do that a lot of times. The system I use automatically records all calls, and I can go in and download them and listen to them if I want to. I don't do it all the time. But I notice that when I'm on the phone with clients especially and I'm working in that role as that trusted advisor, the conversation gets a little bit sloppier. I need to polish it up a little bit more. With candidates, it's fine. And with candidates, I'm making that call 15, 20 times a day sometimes, you know, if I'm lucky enough to reach people. And so that's a lot more fluid. But it's, And I noticed with me it was the conversations with the clients, especially if I'm addressing a situation that might be a little bit, a little bit more peculiar, like, well, we're not sure about that guy, but I think he's a good fit. And, and like what, what David was saying, I need to – and this is something that's a good habit I think everybody should get into. And just to reinforce what David talked about was what's your intention of that conversation? You know, think through. My objective is to get my client to go forward with this candidate or, if not, to at least, you know, grow closer to my client and to really understand what their concern is. You know, to be very clear about that, even to the point of just write it down on a sheet of paper. It's, it's going to make your conversation a lot more fluid. It's going to make it a lot more focused on that. But um, that, that's something I'd recommend. If someone has not yet done that, face your fear. It's what's the worst thing in the world that could happen. And, and realize you know, everybody always feels the same way about hearing themselves because you hear yourself through the bones in your, in your head you hear that vibration of how you speak when you hear the audible recorded voice. You're like, that's not me. It doesn't sound anything like me. 
That's just how it is. And we are always our own worst critic. Don't worry about that. Dan, you sound good, man. I'd buy anything you're selling to me. You sound good. Don't worry about that. The, the Thanks, point man. you make Thank about you. listening listening to the uh, your calls, that, that's a great thing to apply to this process, by the way. So if you, you get dig out the call that you felt where you know you had some hesitation, and as you listen to it, feel the feeling of reluctance as, it, as it's revealed to you, right? That can be a great way to get it to basically come up and then dissipate. If you, when you suppress it, that doesn't work. When you push it down, it doesn't work. But listening to your calls where you're actually very attentive to how you're feeling listening to it, that'll get you to the next level. Wow, that's great, David. Thanks. Yeah, very, very good content. And nobody's died by making a, <laughs> making a call over the phone. <laughs> Not that we know of. Dan, do you know except anyone that any recruiters have died? Except for the mafia, uh, they, they, they do that. <laughs> right. Yeah, n- not yet. People have felt like they were going to die, but no one's actually died. <laughs> Great. Well, we're about out of time, everybody. Uh, I appreciate it. I've gotten emails already just really telling us that a very credible guest, good content. So, David, thank you so much for this. And tell You're us welcome. again. I, I know it. that people will be interested in learning more about you and about your content and how they can benefit from really gaining your knowledge and your expertise and your help. Tell us again how people can reach you. Yeah, it's uh, leadinpresence.com, as I mentioned. So it's L-E-A-D-I-N-P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E.com. And my direct line uh, is 941-554-4064, 941-554-4064, just in case there's a glitch in the... Recording, right? You repeat your phone call. Down in Florida, phone, right? Phone uh, twice. Yes, I'm in Sarasota, Florida. Excellent. Great. Well, enjoy the warm weather down there, David. Will do. Yeah, thank you very much again. Thanks, everybody, for making it a great call, and we'll talk with you all next week. <laughs>